Hello world, this is Roger Corvale and this is For the Hope. Here we read through the Bible conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. Yesterday we heard a really important statement from Jesus, that he didn't come to abolish the law, well, and he said prophets too, but Instead, he came to fulfill it. Now, what exactly does that mean? And is there a way that we can think about that that can sharpen how we connect with other people? Well, we will get to that in today's short closing reflection. Hey, Hopeful, welcome to For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where we uh, do this, right? Job number one, dive into God's story, read the whole thing, and consider our own stories in light of this, including the things that just make us fun. So, shout out to every one of you who might enjoy the fact that today is 22222, including listener Linda. So glad you're with us. Hey, today our New Testament segment continues in the red words, a long speech or sermon that has us hearing directly from Jesus. And importantly, in the first part of what we get to today, you will hear Jesus change the game a bit. Well, not a bit, a lot, (laughs) on a couple biggies that were forbidden in Old Testament Jewish law. In one way, I think it makes sense on its own. But again, in the closing reflection segment, I'm going to take a stab at giving you a practical idea or a a way that you might think about uh, it being useful when you're talking to other people. That said, Matthew chapter 5, picking up in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So if you are Offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court, where your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you've paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, You must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne, 
or by the earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black, but let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? And if you grew Greet only your brothers and sisters. What are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that gets us up through verse 48, which is the end of chapter 5. Hey, you got that? Be perfect. (laughs) Oh, wait, you say. You can't be perfect? It's kind of a mean God thing to say, isn't it? (laughs) Well... That's part of what makes grace amazing. And we'll pick up on that again in our closing reflection segment. Hey, our Old Testament segment today, my friends, is a tad longer, but important for us to get to chug through, to stay on schedule. And as you've noticed, sometimes I pick up the pace a little bit. So uh, of note, though, a good chunk of Ezekiel up to like chapter 25 doesn't mention Gentiles at all. And then it took this turn, right? And starts pronouncing judgment on them and Tyre and uh, the Ammonites and the Philistines, etc., right? Well, today and a little bit of tomorrow, we're going to kind of hear the end of this, and we're going to hear this about Egypt, and that will wrap up this section where Ezekiel, like we heard yesterday, is actually using all of that, or God using it through Ezekiel, as a sign that the mourning and angst will end. Ezekiel 29. And again, this is all about Egypt today. In the tenth year, in the tenth month, on the twelfth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, face Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him and against all of Egypt. Speak to him and say, this is what the Lord God says. Look, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great monster lying in the middle of his Nile, who says, my Nile is my own. I made it myself. I will put hooks in your jaws and make you the fish of your streams cling to your scales. I will haul you up from the middle of your Nile, and all the fish of your streams will cling to your scales. I will leave you in the desert, you and all the fish of your streams. You will fall on the open ground and will not be taken away or gathered for burial. I have given you to the wild creatures of the earth and the birds of the sky as food. Then all of the inhabitants of Egypt will know that I am the Lord. For they have been made a staff made of reed to the house of Israel. And when Israel grasped you by the hand, you splintered. 
tearing all their shoulders when they leaned on you. You shattered and made all their hips unsteady. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says, I'm going to bring a sword against you and cut off both people and animals from you. The land of Egypt will be a desolate ruin and they will then they will know that I am the Lord because you said, The Nile is my own, I made it. Therefore, I'm against you and your Nile. I will turn the land of Egypt into ruins, a desolate waste from Migdal to Syene as far as the border of Cush. No human foot will pass through it. No animal foot will pass through it. It will be uninhabited for 40 years. I will make the land of Egypt a desolation among desolate lands, and its cities will be desolation among ruined cities for 40 years. I will disperse the Egyptians among the nations and scatter them throughout the lands. For this is what the Lord God says, At the end of 40 years, I will gather the Egyptians from the peoples where they were dispersed. I will restore the fortunes of Egypt and bring them back to the land of Pathros, the land of their origin. And there they will be a lowly kingdom. Egypt will be the lowliest of kingdoms and will never again exalt itself over the nations. I will make them so small they cannot rule over the nations. It will never again be an object of trust for the house of Israel, drawing attention to their iniquity of turning to the Egyptians. Then they will know that I am the Lord. In the 27th year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon made his army labor strenuously against Tyre. Every head was made bald and every shoulder chafed, but he and his army received no compensation from Tyre for the labor he expended against it. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says, I'm going to give the land of Egypt to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and he will carry off its wealth, seizing its spoil and taking its plunder. This will be his army's compensation. I have given him the land of Egypt as the pay he labored for since they worked for me. This is the declaration of the Lord God. In that day, in that day, I will cause a horn to sprout for the house of Israel, and I will enable you to speak out among them. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Chapter 30. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy and say, This is what the Lord God says. Wail, woe because of that day. For a day is near, a day belonging to the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. A sword will come against Egypt, and there will be anguish in Cush when the slain fall in Egypt, and its wealth is taken away, and its foundations are demolished. Cush put and lewd, and all the various foreign troops, plus Libya and the men of the covenant land, will fall by the sword along with them. This is what the Lord God says. Those those who support Egypt will fall, and its proud strength will collapse. From Migdal to Cyrene, they will fall within it by the sword. This is the declaration of the Lord. They will be desolate among desolate lands, and their cities will lie among ruined cities. They will know that I am the Lord when I set fire to Egypt, and all its allies are shattered. On that day, messengers will go out from me in ships to terrify confident Cush. Anguish will will come over them on the day of Egypt's doom. For indeed, it is coming. This is what the Lord God says, I will put an end to the hordes of Egypt by the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. He, along with his people, ruthless men from the nations, will be brought in to destroy the land. They will draw their swords against Egypt and fill the land with the slain. 
I will make their stream the streams dry and sell the land to evil men. I will bring desolation on the land and everything in it by the hands of foreigners. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is what the Lord God says. I will destroy the worthless idols and put an end to the false gods in Memphis. There will no longer be a prince from the land of Egypt, and I will instill instill fear in that land. I will make Pathros desolate, set fire to Zoan, and execute judgment on Thebes. I will pour out my wrath on Pelusium at the stronghold of Egypt and will wipe out the hordes of Thebes. I will set fire to Egypt. Pelusium will writhe in anguish. Thebes will be breached and Memphis will face foes in broad daylight. The young men of On and Pi-Baseth will fall by the sword and those cities will go into captivity. The day will be darkened to Hafanes when I break the yoke of Egypt there and its proud strength comes to an end in the city. A cloud will cover Tophanes, and its surrounding villages will go into captivity. So I will execute judgments against Egypt, and they will know that I am the Lord. Next little section is about Pharaoh's power being broken. In the eleventh year, in the first month, on the seventh day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have broken the arm of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Look, it has not been bandaged. No medicine has been applied and no splint put on to bandage it so it can grow strong enough to handle a sword. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Look, I am against Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I will break his arms, both the strong one and the one already broken, and I will make the sword fall from his hand. I will disperse the Egyptians among the nations and scatter them among the countries. I will strengthen the arms of Babylon's king and place my sword in his hand. But I will break the arms of Pharaoh, and he will groan before me as a mortally wounded man. I will strengthen the arms of Pharaoh's king, but or Babylon's king, but Pharaoh's arms will fall. Then they will know that I am the Lord, when I place my sword in the hand of Babylon's king, and he wields it against the land of Egypt. When I disperse the Egyptians among the nations and scatter them among the countries, they will know that I am the Lord." All right, next little section is downfall of Egypt using Assyria in a way that sounds going to sound familiar with that tree parable that we heard several days ago. Okay, here we go. In the eleventh year, in the third month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his hordes, Who are you like in your greatness? Think of Assyria, a cedar in Lebanon with branches beautiful and shady foliage and of lofty height. Its top was among the clouds. The waters caused it to grow. The underground springs made it tall, directing their rivers all around the place where the tree was planted and sending their channels to all the trees of the field. Therefore, the cedar became greater in height than all of the trees of the field. Its branches multiplied and its boughs grew long as it spread them out because of the abundant water. All the birds of the sky nested in its branches, and all the animals of the field gave birth beneath its boughs. All the great nations lived in its shade. It was beautiful in its size, in the length of its limbs, for its roots extended to abundant water. The cedars in God's garden could not eclipse it. The pine trees couldn't compare with its branches, nor could the pine, the plane trees match its boughs. No tree in the garden of God could compare with it in beauty. It made I made it beautiful with its many limbs, and all the trees of Eden, which were in God's garden, envied it. 
Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. Since it towered high in stature and set its top among the clouds, and it grew proud on account of its height, I determined to hand it over to a ruler of nations. He would surely deal with it. I banished it because of its wickedness. Foreigners, ruthless men from the nations, cut it down and left it lying. Its limbs fell on the mountains and in every valley. Its boughs lay broken in all the earth's ravines. All the peoples of the earth left its shade and abandoned it. All the birds of the sky nested on its fallen trunk and all the animals of the field were among its boughs. This happened so that no trees planted beside water could, would become great in height and set their tops among the clouds, and so that no other well-watered trees would reach them in height. For they have all been consigned to death, to the underworld, among the people who descend to the pit. This is what the Lord God says, I caused grieving on the day the cedar went down to Sheol. I closed off the underground because of it. I hailed back the rivers from the deep and its abundant water was restrained. I made Lebanon mourn on account of it and all the trees of the field fainted because of it. I made the nations quake at the sound of its downfall when I threw it down to Sheol to be with those who descend to the pit. Then all the trees of Eden, the choice and best of Lebanon, all the well-watered trees were comforted in the underworld. They too descended with it to Sheol to those slain by the sword. As its allies, they lived in its shade among the nations. Who then are you like in glory and greatness among Eden's trees? He's, I think he's speaking to Egypt now. Who then are you like in glory and greatness among Eden's trees? You also will be brought down to the underworld to be with the trees of Eden. You will lie among the uncircumcised with those slain by the sword. This is Pharaoh and all his hordes. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Woo-wee! All right. And believe it or not, we plowed through three chapters there. So, um, tell you what, like yesterday, I'm going to just dive right into our reflection segment, right? Jesus came saying he wasn't going to abolish the law and the prophets, let's focus on the law, but to fulfill it, right? So here's a couple theologian words, continuity and discontinuity. It's kind of like a range, as in how does the Old Testament law relate to, in a sense, the New Covenant, right? Well, generally, most theologians are probably in the middle, often arguing that the Old Testament had three types of laws, right? The Mosaic law was moral, civil, and ceremonial. And most theologians go, well, the moral law still applies, but the civil and ceremonial laws don't. Now, I take a little different view, which is a view of continuity consistent with uh, Douglas Moo, who's a Wheaton professor, and he's actually one of the editors of the NIV Bible, which he points out there's a couple places where Paul uses the words, the law of Christ. And I believe that, that uh, the law of Christ is that which accords with God's eternal nature and character, right? Because Jesus is eternal in nature. So does Jesus fulfill the law? Yeah, and I, I want to be careful. I don't want to play games with, you know, like you don't. We don't want to play games with religiosity regarding adultery or murder or a famous president who may have said something like, I didn't have sex with that young woman, Miss Lewinsky. So my friends, what's, what's the deal with conversation, right? I don't want to play games with religiosity re regarding rules and be legalistic, but on the same side, 
there's a con- broader context. Well, you sometimes hear, and I have said it, that following Jesus isn't about the rules, and in one sense that is correct. And if the order of the cosmos, the natural law, the moral law, all emanate from the character of God, that doesn't mean there aren't laws, right? Like the law of gravity. You ignore it at your own peril. So it is true that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And that also means something really super important, right? We don't have a reconciled relationship with God by keeping enough rules. But if Jesus is talking about more than that, and I believe he is, he's talking about your heart, right? We can play games with words and boundaries and religiosity for, you know, like about adultery, but I bet your spouse is concerned with more than just technically keeping the rules in a way, right? And so is Jesus. Once you are saved, you're not just saved from something, from death to life, but you're saved for something. And being transformed by the renewing of your mind means that as you grow into being more and more like him, your life will, in fact, begin to show up in ways that are consistent more and more with God's character. Remember, every law is like a guardrail. It's there for your protection due to his love. So when you're talking to someone, remember, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them. I love you. Amen. Amen.